Wonderful. All right. Well, hey, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Matthew. All right. Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll be. Matthew chapter number 9 this morning in the wonderful Word of God. And as many of you know, on Sunday mornings we're going through this uh, study together. We're studying the miracles of Christ. That's something we started on a Wednesday, but we've, we kind of carried it over into sun, our Sunday mornings. But also on Sunday mornings we're going to continue this, this topic of the, the miracles of Christ. I want to remind you again the purpose behind them. And every time we come to them, I'm going to remind you of this very purpose. So please, uh, don't take a nap just yet, all right? It's good to be reminded, okay, of what they're here for. So please be reminded of why the miracles are recorded for us in Scripture. They're not, they're not for a show, not just for some spectacle, not just for some show, just as Herod wanted to see in Luke chapter number 23, verse number 8. He'd hoped to see uh, Jesus for some time, that he could see some mighty thing. What he wanted to see was a magic show, basically, all right? That's not what they were there for. These miracles are not there just to draw a following to Christ, though many followed Christ because of them. They're not there just to, just to prove, just to prove His mighty power, though each and every one will prove that and prove there's nothing too hard for God, nothing too hard for the Lord. I'm thankful that we serve a powerful Creator, a powerful Savior. But that's not the main purpose. Even the main purpose behind the miracles was not even just to help people, though Jesus did a lot of that. He, he, helped, he helped multitudes. Here's a, here's a math number for you. He helped bukus of people, all right? He helped a lot. He helped a lot of people. But that's not the primary, primarily the, the purpose <clears throat> behind the miracles of Christ. Rather, these miracles are here and recorded for us to prove and to show, to prove that Jesus is the Christ, to prove that He is the Messiah, to prove that He is the Son of God, that He is God come in the flesh, that He is Emmanuel, God with us. Here's what John said about it all in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. And many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These signs, these miracles, these signs are written that, we, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in my life through his name. So this is why Jesus did all these miracles, to show that He's Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And seeing this fact and understanding this, this wonderful truth should cause you and I to believe on Jesus as our Savior. That's why He did everything that He did for that purpose. All right? So yes, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, let these miracles uh, point to His power absolutely. And let these miracles point to who He is, His person. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And let these miracles bring you to Jesus Christ. And especially to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So that's the purpose behind them all. And let's look at another one this morning in Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse 27. Uh, verse 27. We'll read down through verse, uh, verse 34. And as you find that spot, you may uh, notice already there's two different miracles recorded for us in these verses. But we're going to combine these two miracles from this portion of Scripture since uh, these miracles are a little shorter and they're close together in time frame. And I believe you will see they're connected as well. So if you're taking notes about the miracles, here's the title of the message. The Blind Beggars and a Dumb Devil. All right? The blind devil, or the blind devils, nope. Blind beggars, <laughs> I'll get it out in a minute. Stand by, hold on. <laughs> mm. Need a swig of water there, all right? But the blind beggars 
and the dumb devil. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse 27. <clears throat> and when Jesus departed thence, remember he departed from the miracle of uh, Jairus raising his daughter. Remember that when we looked at that last time. That's where he's departing from, all right? And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind, blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto him, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. So we see these two miracles taking place here with the blind beggars and dumb devil. And we'll see some similarities connected with these individuals. The first thing I'd like for us to consider about this is this. Number one, take note of the beggar's cry. All right? Take note of the beggar's cry. Look again at verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now let me ask you a question this morning. As you see this verse here, verse 27, what was, uh, what was it that the men were crying out for? What was it that they were wanting? What was it that they were in great need of? And as you see this, this verse, you'll say, well, they were blind men, so, so they were crying out. They were crying out for, well, to see. They were crying out for uh, sight. And uh, you wouldn't be wrong, and they definitely needed that. And by the way, I'm thankful to be able to see. Amen. I'm thankful for that. But that's not the initial cry that these individuals have. In verse 27, look at it again, verse 27. When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, here it is, have mercy on us. So what was it that they were crying out for from, from the Lord Jesus Christ? Mercy. They were crying out for mercy. Now mercy is a fantastic word. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for mercy this morning. But what is mercy? What exactly is mercy? Mercy is this. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone from whom it is within one's power to punish or harm that individual. Mercy is when that punishment which is deserved is withheld to the benefit of the object of that mercy. If you're like me, some of these definitions can be a little cross-eyed, all right? So I've got to bring it down to where I can understand it. So a redneck definition of mercy is this, not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Now, different people today think they deserve different things. They have what we call an entitlement attitude. I, I recently heard, as someone told me they watched the news, they heard this person say that everyone deserves the minimum wage to be at least $30 an hour, up to $50 an hour. They deserve it. Hmm. They still live among us, people, all right? But uh, that's absurd, crazy, all right? They say they deserve, they deserve that, they deserve that. But as I was thinking on what they were thinking they were entitled to and deserve, I had us think this way, really, we don't deserve anything. 
The only thing that we truly deserve as sinners is this, judgment, hell, and wrath of God. And we deserve this because Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Wages, earnings, your minimum wage, earnings, all right, is death. It's not just a physical death, by the way, but he's speaking of a spiritual eternal death as well. And that second death is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And we know what it says there, that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. That's what we truly deserve. That type of death, that wrath, is what we all deserve. But we don't have to endure it. Why? Because of mercy. Let me read some verses to you. They're very exciting to me. You'll find in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I want to read them to you this morning. I'm asking God to speak to your heart from them. And let him encourage you, excite you of this wonderful truth, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also you had your, our conversation times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He is saying this is what we were. This is what we did. And because of this sin, because of the sin of disobedience, the sin of lust, of lust of the flesh, of lust of the, of the mind, he says it was in our nature being the children of wrath. He is saying, look, wrath is what we deserve naturally. But listen to this verse. As he continues to write on, he says this. That's the bad news, all right? But he gives the good news. But God who is rich in mercy. For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, made us alive, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Hath raised up together, made us sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, God is rich in mercy. We don't have to endure and go through the wrath that we deserve. Why? Because of the mercy of God. You find it in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. We can have God's mercy and God's salvation all because of Christ. You find mercy at the feet of Jesus. And that's exactly where these blind beckers were going to find mercy. What was it they were crying for? Lord, give us our sight. Well, they did ask for that. But initially, they're simply crying out for mercy. Where were they finding? Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're not saved, I want to tell you something. You need mercy. You know where you want to find it? Christ. The only place you'll find, the only person you'll find it is in the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll find His mercy is enough. And you'll find Jesus is enough. All right. So what were, they, what were they crying for? Crying for mercy. Okay, see their cry. Then see this. Number two, understand and see the beggar's faith. 
All right, verse 28. And when he was come into the house, that house would probably, if we talk about this, he's probably back in Capernaum, and that house is probably the, the, the uh, mother-in-law of Simon. So it would be Simon's house. And that was kind of his home base, all right? So as he came into the house, verse 28, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Look at the faith here of these blind beggars. It was kind of twofold as I'm looking at this scripture. And the first thing their faith was in was this. Number one, it was in the promises of scripture. All right. Now, pastor, where do you see? They were trusting in the promises of scripture. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because here's what I see these blind beggars trusting in. It's interesting to me how they addressed the Lord Jesus Christ when he asked for mercy. Look at verse 27 again. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou, son of David, have mercy on us. They gave him the title of Thou, son of David. Now, we will see this phrase a few more times as we study Scripture and as we study the miracles. You'll see it actually six times in, in the Scripture. Uh, there'll be a woman at Canaan that uses this term. The blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus will see again or see him uh, said this again, this, this phrase. But I'll remind us of this as well when we see that. But it's so significant here about this title and about this phrase and name really given to Christ. Because in the Old Testament, understand God made a covenant with David that David's throne would be established forever. Let me read that promise to you real quick. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Maybe you want to write that down in the margin of your Bible and look at it later for yourself. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 through 16 says this. This is God speaking to the prophet Nathan to relay this message to David. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they may dwell, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before Thee. Of course, that son he's talking about was Solomon. But here's what he says. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. This is a promise the Lord had made to David and to God's people Israel. So the Jews and even the proselytes alike who knew the Old Testament, knew it well, knew of this promise. And they were been waiting for the king to come to fulfill this promise promise to sit upon the throne of David. And, and this cause, this promise caused the people to long to see David's greater son, the one who would rule forever. So every Jewish individual at this time were longing and yearning for their true ruler and 
king. And even as Jesus would come in at the triumphal entry, this is what the people would call him. Thou son of David. They recognized who he was, at least at that moment. Thou son of David. This is what they were yearning for, wanting for. But these two blind men put two and two together. Maybe these men were Jewish individuals. Maybe these men were part of the synagogue that uh, uh, the Jairus was a, was a ruler of, remember? Maybe, maybe. But no doubt. No doubt, especially since they said, Thou son of David, they knew the promises of Scripture. And they put two and two together. Knowing the promise that the, the king would come to sit upon the throne. Uh, knowing also that the promises given in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, when it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. They knew those verses. And by the way, Jesus read those verses in Nazareth synagogue, and he said these words. It is at this moment, this day, this scripture, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, has been fulfilled in your ears, Luke 4 and 21. They're putting two and two together, people. Seeing the, the promise of the Old Testament that the king will come, seeing that now promises are being fulfilled right before their very eyes as they see the miracles of Christ that he is doing. Why? Why are they there? To prove who he is. They're putting two and two together. And they cry out, Thou son of David, the promised king, trusting in the promises of God, their faith was in the word of God and is coming alive right before their very eyes. And they said, thou son of David, he's the king. He's the king. So they put their faith in what God had promised. They're seeing it with their own, soon to be, seeing it with their own eyes. As they put two and two together. So yes, they trusted in the promises. But I want you to see this as well. Their faith was in the person of Christ. All right, look at verse 28 again. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. Here's what they said. They said unto him, Yea. What's that next word? Lord. Yea, Lord. Do you know what the word Lord here means? It means this. It means supreme master, ultimate ruler. It is a title that servants would give to their masters, and here's what they were doing, and here's what they were saying. They were completely and totally putting their confidence, their faith, their trust, their lives in the very hands of Jesus as they get, throw themselves basically at the feet of Christ. Why? Because they recognize who Jesus is, and they put their faith in Him. They recognize Him as the supreme master, the ultimate ruler, the Almighty, the Lord. These guys have examined the evidence of, of the promise of Scripture, examined the miracles of Christ. No doubt they've heard about the woman with the issue of blood. It just previously happened, remember? No doubt they've heard. They just came from the, the multitudes of people that were surrounding Jairus and understanding the raising of his daughter. They've heard these things. Maybe they get to see them because they're blind, but they heard these things, right? They're putting these things together. This is the son of David. This is the Lord. He's able. All we ask or think, above it all. There's nothing too hard for him. Why? Because he is the king. He's the Lord. They put their faith in the promises of Scripture. And they put their faith in who Jesus is. He's the Lord. Can I ask you something this morning? Where is your trust and confidence and faith? Are you trusting in the Word of God? 
So I promise you, it will never fail you. God has bound himself to that book on your lap. He can't go outside of it. Outside the bounds of Scripture. He can't lie. You can trust that book in your lap. You can trust the Word of God. You can trust God himself. You can trust the Lord. What did, what did Jesus say to his disciples one day? He said this. There was something that seemed impossible. He said, have faith in God. Period. Trust in the Lord. So, the cry was for mercy. And then seeing their faith, man, it's amazing to me. Then I want to see this about these beggars here. I want to see their witness. All right. Look at verse 31. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that city. And they went out, behold, and as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. Now, we see something kind of interesting in verse number 30. I didn't, I didn't read that right then, but... Something interesting in verse number 30. As Jesus uh, lets these guys receive their sight, he, he says this in verse 30. He then touched uh, verse 30, and their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. Now we can speculate why he said these things. Maybe he wasn't trying to, he already had a huge following, and he's trying not to uh, bring too much more attention. I don't know. We can speculate, right? But, uh, but what, what we do see here is these guys just couldn't help but tell people what had happened to them because their life was changed forever. Let me ask you a question this morning. Would getting, <clears throat> would getting $100 million overnight change your life? Who here? All right. Who here would like to try that? <laughs> yeah. Both hands up. All right. <laughs> Let's give it a shot, okay? <laughs> if, I, if I got that overnight, you'd be glad you went to church here. Amen. All right. No. But that would no doubt, more than likely, change, your, change your, your life. Now, if that $100 million changed your life overnight, let me ask you this. Would you be quiet about it? Well, you say, well, it just depends. <laughs> Do I got to tell all my family? <laughs> Do I got to tell all my friends? <laughs> it just depends what you're talking about here. But I would say if most of us, if we overnight, $100 million, bam, in our bank account, we would probably not be quiet about it. If it was me, you know what I'd be doing? <laughs> all right, man. And you get a bass boat. And you get a bass boat. We all get bass boats. You know, no. <laughs> I probably would not be quiet about it. I would say you probably wouldn't be quiet about it either. Why? Well, it changed your life, man. Did you know when you got saved, you got something way more valuable than $100 million? You got something that money couldn't buy. You got something that changed your life forever, but more importantly, even your eternal destination and life forever. When you found Christ. Rather, when Christ found you. When you were saved. Why then do we shy away and be quiet about the very one who changed our lives forever? You know, today, in the 21st century in which we live, if Jesus was to tell you, after you change your life forever, um, see that no man know it, I have a tendency to believe that most Christians would have no problem obeying that command. But I'm happy to tell you that's not the command we have today. The command we have today as believers is go and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Make it known. Spread it abroad. Tell everybody you see what Jesus has done for you. What great things the Lord has done for you. Tell everybody. Even we looked at this leper, I believe it was back in Luke chapter 4. Uh, we looked at him as he began to blaze abroad the matter. Because remember, he was a leper, outcast. No one could be around him. He couldn't be around nobody. But finally, after Jesus healed him and made him whole again, he couldn't help be around people and couldn't help but tell people about Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, blaze abroad the matter. You know what that means? In the days vernacular, he made Jesus go viral. That's what that means. Made him go viral. You say, he gave him a virus. No, that's different, all right? Viral, meaning popular. <laughs> Made him humongously popular, okay? He blazed abroad the matter. I wonder, have you told anybody what Jesus has done in your life lately? Do they know? So we see, number one, the beggar's cry. We see, number two, the beggar's faith. Number three, we see the beggar's witness. Man, it's amazing. I'm loving what I'm seeing, aren't you? Then I want to see this, number four. I want to see this lastly. <clears throat> the responses we see from these miracles. All right, look at verse 33. Actually, starting in verse 32. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out devils through the prince of the devils. So after, this, after Jesus cast out the devil, uh, the dumb man, meaning dumb, not as in intellect, but dumb, he couldn't speak. All right, we know this. But he was mute, he couldn't speak. And uh, for some people, you'd want to leave that devil in there so they won't speak. But anyway, not this guy, okay? But uh, he was mute. But finally he could speak why the devil was cast out. And people were seeing this, but they had different responses. And the first response we see is some, the Bible says in verse 33, marvel. This word marvel in verse 33 means to wonder, to admire. It gives the impression, and the impression that this miracle stirred up the curiosity of the people. And it caused them to stop and think on the Lord Jesus Christ. It caused them to stop Think about themselves. Think about what Jesus has done. And again, think of who Jesus is. Remember, that's the whole purpose of the miracle. To point to who Jesus really is. And this miracle calls them to marvel and do just that. To stop and to think. What Jesus had done, yes, but who Jesus is. I wonder, can folks see in our life today, God working, doing a work in our lives. Yes, we're supposed to uh, share with our lips the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely, but it should also be shown with our lives. Can they see God in your life? And can they see God working in your life? And as they see that, does it cause people to stop and think about the Lord, wonder about God? Does it cause them to stop and want to know more about Jesus? Or does it do this? Does your life, dear believer Christian, Cause people to be repelled from knowing more about Jesus. Look, all I'm trying to say is, does your life point to Christ or point people away from Christ? Does it cause people to marvel, to wonder, to be more curious about the Lord Jesus Christ we claim to know? All right. What's the response? Well, some marvel. And then we see this. Some murmured. Look at verse 34. Verse 34. Here's the Pharisees. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Now, 
We can see this is how the Pharisees responded to the miracles of Christ all throughout Scripture. They were skeptics. They were doubters. Now, not all of them, but the vast majority were. But there is something they could not, as wholeheartedly at least, could not uh, deny. They couldn't deny that something has happened. They couldn't deny that the man who has not been able to speak for who, who knows how long is all of a sudden speaking. They couldn't deny that. They couldn't deny that the blind men who, who for no, no, no telling how long, could not see were now seeing. They couldn't deny those acts. They couldn't deny that. But they had to give an explanation for it. They had to give an explanation. And it wasn't an explanation of faith in God, but something different. They had to give an explanation. So since they couldn't deny these things that actually happened, here's what they began to do. You know... These things that are happening, these miracles that are happening that Jesus is doing, He's not doing these things through His own power, but really He's doing it through the power of the devil. Yeah, that's what Jesus is doing. He's casting out the devils through the power of the prince of the devils. <laughs> hmm. Now I know, during this time frame, the Pharisees were supposed to be the intellectual group of the day. But they were really stupid. <laughs> and even Jesus would call him out on that. He would make a logical statement. We'll find that eventually in Matthew chapter 12. But Jesus calls him out and says this. Matthew 12, verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? He's using logic. Something that people don't like to use today, but he's using logic, all right? Come to a logical conclusion that their statement is absolutely foolish and wrong. Listen, when you boil it down to this response here of these Pharisees, here's what the Pharisees were basically not doing. They refused. They would come up with any other phrase, any other explanation except to acknowledge that Jesus, he's the Christ. To acknowledge that He is the actual Messiah. To acknowledge that this is the Son of David. This is the Son of God. We can't acknowledge that. We refuse to. Therefore, we come up with something outlandish as this and foolish. People do the same things today. And by the way, you can't, you can't control their response to the gospel and to the truth. Yes, there'll be some that marvel and believe. There'll be others who will mock and not believe. You can't, you can't control that. But still, don't let that stop you from giving the gospel and telling people about Christ and what He's done in your life. People do that today, though. Murmur, come up with something out, outlandish and crazy. Even in Sunday school, we're going through some different things uh, as far as trying to help people in their apologetical stand, you know, uh, defending their faith. And uh, we're looking at how do we know God exists. And, of course, we look at creation. It's, it's, it's evidence you can see that God exists by the very things that we see around us, the mountains, the trees, all the life we see around us. Life comes from life. Where did that life come from? The person who created life. All right? But they come with outlandish things to try to get around that. Say, no, it came from a, a puddle way back when, and it spun really fast, and, and it boom, and then mountains. Okay. That's way out there. <laughs> it takes a lot more faith to believe that than it does, you know, there, there's a God that, that made this. There's a supreme being that's bigger and, and greater, more powerful than you and I that, well, that made this. But people, you can't control their responses, all right? 
But you can control if you tell them the truth or not. Tell them of Christ or not. Tell them of Jesus or not. What will you do? Here, these beggars, they couldn't help but tell people around them what God had done in their life. They had a great witness. And God used it. We see, the, we see these responses. Some, yes, marveled. They wanted to know more. Others murmured and they rejected. But that's on them and not on you. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, do not reject the obvious truth that's sitting right in front of you as Jesus did these mighty miracles. Because why? He's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He is Lord. He is the King. We see that even in these miracles today. He is the Almighty. Let these miracles bring you to Jesus Christ. Don't reject Him. Don't reject Him. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, allow Him to use the great work He's done in your heart and life to show others of His mercy. Let God